a revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Blaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today's conversation is all about milestones, communication and speech milestones for your baby. Now, I will be fully the force to admit that when my, I had my first child, I was probably a little too obsessed with making sure my baby hit these milestones because there really is quite a range. But they are important to know, and they're also important to know when to seek help. So today's conversation, we're going to talk about typical communication development, the importance importance of gestures, everyday strategies to help facilitate communication, and as I mentioned, what to do if your baby is not hitting these milestones. What kind of help can you seek? So to have this conversation, I have my neighbors at Prenatal Yoga Center, Chatterbox, the founder of Chatterbox. I have Trisha Brown and Jackie dolson Shuchuk. So let me tell you a little bit about them. So Trisha Brown is a licensed and registered speech pathologist in New York. She received her Bachelor of Science in Speech Pathology degree from SUNY College at Buffalo and holds a Master of Science in Speech Pathology from SUNY Fredonia. Trisha is a prompt certified clinician for over 20 years experience in the field. All right, let me tell you a little bit about Jackie. Jackie is also a prompt certified practitioner in New York City, and Jackie has been a prompt certified instructor since 2001 and has taught both the introductory and advanced courses to speech language pathologists throughout the world. Her scope of practice is largely with children diagnosed with motor speech disorders and or autism spectrum disorders. This conversation was really fascinating to me because I'm the person who likes practical information as well as easy to understand. And they went through it so well to help those that have a baby look for these different developmental skills. And they give a whole range of when we should be looking for these as well as ways, practical ways to help encourage these milestones in your child. So I think you're going to get a lot out of that. Now, before we jump into this conversation, just giving you some heads up about what's happening at Prenatal Yoga Center. So we have continued with our online classes every single day. So no matter where you are in the world, you can take class. And one thing that's been really fun is we had a student who came to PYC in person with her first child five years ago. She came about two, three times a week. But since then, she's moved to California and now she's coming to class every single day. And she and I just talked about that in this morning 
Springs class that she never would have been able to do that for in-person because there's getting there, you know, there's a lot. And she's another child at this point. So I love that we have these classes that people can take at home on their own time with another child around. It's really special to me. Now, we also have our online classes of not just the prenatal, but we have a whole on-demand library of all of our workshops. So check that out. And then last thing I just want to bring to your attention is our teacher training. We have it online for September, October, October, November, and then January, February. And then we're back in person in our Upper West Side studio in March and April. So if you want to take a very deep dive into the work of prenatal yoga, check out our website. It's a really wonderfully intense course taught by myself and three of my other co-teachers. We just have a really good time and I'm really proud of the information that we offer as well as super proud of the students and new prenatal teachers that are now all over the world. So check all that out. And then the last thing I'd like to ask is if you haven't yet, please leave a rating and review for the podcast because it helps people find us. This whole podcast is about supporting you as a community, and the more people that we can reach, the more support we can offer. Okay, I know I said that was the last thing, but this is really the last thing. If I haven't yet done a topic or talked to somebody you think would be great for the podcast, let me know. I'm always looking for interesting conversations. Okay, that's enough from me. We're going to take a super quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Jackie and Trisha. A revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or set to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News and World Report, uses Massimo Set as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, Trisha. Hi, Jackie. Hi, neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> How are you guys doing? Wonderful. We're doing great. I'm really excited to chat with you. So <laughs> the funny thing is, listeners, is that um, Chatterbox, that's the that's where Trisha and Jackie work and own. Um, they're literally next door to PYC, like literally like our doors are touching. So I just think that's so funny that we're next to each other and I rarely see you guys, but I'm so glad we have a chance to chat. So thank you for your time. Wonderful. We're so excited. When we saw when you were moving in, we were so excited. And I remember back to those days practicing yoga with you with my very first little nugget. Ah, I love that. I love how (laughs) we have like a closed loop there. All right. So we're (laughs) going to talk about speech and milestones and all the developmental milestones and all these important things. So I want to get to know you guys a little better. So tell me about yourselves and how did you both find your way to speech pathology and how did you end up working together and um, creating Chatterbox? Um, Well, I can say that I know both Jackie and I um, had family members that had uh, some speech and language issues. Um, so that is what brought us both into the field for different reasons, uh, different situations, but that was a common bond. 
Uh, I actually collaborated with Jackie back uh, when I was working in early intervention. Um, And since then, we shared a client and collaborated and um, we just really clicked professionally and felt that we were learning from each other and collaborated and leaned each other on each other professionally for many years. Um, And eventually we decided to open a practice together. Amazing. So I, let's jump into the whole developmental milestones because I remember as a first-time parent, I was very concerned about that. I remember actually having, gosh, I'm dating myself a little, like a Dr. Sears book and a couple others. And I would look at, <laughs> I know, I would look at that and be like, all right, are we hitting these things? So this is exciting to dive into. So I guess we should start with the typical communication development. What does that include? What should parents be looking out for to ensure that language skills are on track? That's such a good question. I, you know, even being in this field, I still poured through those books, you know, <laughs> what to expect at you know, month one and all of those things, even though we know there's a big, huge spectrum of what mm-hmm. normal looks like in development. And I think, you know, Trisha and I have been at this for a while, but back when we were in graduate school, we had taken a course where we're basically how to coach pediatricians on when to be concerned and when not to be concerned. And the mnemonic that we all used was one by one, two by two, which means first word by first birthday and two word combinations by the time a kiddo is two. Hmm. And while that's still absolutely true, it really leaves out all of the amazing language development and communication that happens really from when you meet that first little one uh, in the hospital or in your home or wherever you are so lucky in the back of a taxi when you're <laughs> lucky to meet that that little one. So um, I guess that's what we're really looking at now and where we have a lot of parents come to us who have concerns and we always say, trust that caregiver gut. If you think that you maybe need a little boost or a little nudge in a direction, you're probably right. Mm -hmm. Um, So really relying on those milestones isn't as important as sort of relying on your gut as to, are you connecting with this baby, this infant, this toddler, and looking at some of those nuanced things. Um, And the big, big one that we see is this social communication. If you don't have that social reciprocity, that social communication as as a baby, it's really hard to develop true language if that isn't there. So those are the milestones that we're helping families recognize, identify, and then if, if they're not there, how to foster that in your everyday interactions with your little peanut. So if they're not sure, like, I don't know if I would know what to be looking for. So I know you said first word, but is it that, and you're talking about social communication. So say I was a a first time parent, all I have are my books and I'm trying to trust my (laughs) gut. And what should I even be looking for? Is it eye communication? Is it like, what, Mm -hmm. what are some basic things that new parents can be like, okay, I think we're on track. And then have you also, it's kind of multi-part question that I'm thinking it through. What about the parent that they're like, I don't think I'm on track. And then they come in and you're like, no, they are on track. So how does someone, how are they going to know? I guess is the question. Well, it's interesting. Such a good question. <laughs> yes, I agree. And Deb, I think it's so interesting that just intuitively you just said eye contact. Um, because one of the, one of the 
uh, first indicators that we look for is eye gaze and joint joint attention. So in other words, as Jackie mentioned, that social reciprocity and just connecting with your baby. You know, your baby looks at you, you, you look at your baby, you kind of, you, you are exchanging, um, feelings and, and emotions through eye gaze and communicating that way. And then you will hear different, even before an infant starts to speak, there's different uh, cries that a baby will have. So as a parent, I'm sure you recognized, you know, a cry, a differentiation in cry when your child is hungry versus mm-hmm. tired versus frustrated. <laughs> so I think that parents actually do have intuition frequently. Um, but th- those sorts of differing vocalizations and what we call joint attention, um, again, that, that ability to, um, reciprocate via vocalizations and looking at things and, and reaching our, our precursors to language that we are keeping track of. Yeah. So to piggyback on what you're saying, yeah. Trish, that like the eye gaze seems like, you know, it's such a check box. Oh yeah. My kid looks at me. I look at my kid, but when they start using the, that eye gaze meaningfully, yeah. so both from a receptive and an expressive way. So like if I have my eyebrows up really wide and I'm giving that like, oh, Hey, that my baby then reacts with positive affect because they can see that like something anticipatory is happening or this is my face of enjoyment. So having that them understand my facial expression is one, but then later where they start looking to what they want, looking back to you, looking at the toy, looking to you, that's that joint attention. I'm able to shift my gaze from my parent or my caregiver who's so important to me to a toy that I really kind of would like you to bring closer or engage with more and to share that joy. So those are one of the things when we have a little one come in that we start to look, are they able to shift their gaze from the toy or activity, back to mom, back to dad, back to caregiver, back to me, whoever, whoever the, uh, you know, more competent peer is in the, mo- in the moment, do they use that gaze to bring me into the interaction? And that's what we talk about with joint attention. So we'll talk to parents about that. Like, do they get fixated on a toy, a show or whatever? Um, because they really shouldn't, they should be able to change that gaze from activity, food, toy back to the person who's important to them. Is that their way of communicating by like looking at you, looking at the toy because they don't have the words of like, please bring this to me? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yes. And that, that's also when babies, because they, you will, if, if you're responding to that eye gaze and they are basically their communicative needs um, are getting met, then that begins to establish the cause effective communication. Mm-hmm. What other ways can babies, com- I guess crying, I'm just thinking as I'm saying this, <laughs> because what else do they have um, yeah. at that point? They have, and because you know, they're not mo- like, they're not super mobile. They're not like grabbing you and be like, come get this. Um, so what happens when a parent comes in and they don't have that back and forth, that they are fixated on something? So in that case, that's such a good, we have lots of little kiddos who come in there. So sometimes what we'll talk to families about is creating that essential tension between frustration and communication. So if I see that they're really, really in love with this one Elmo doll or this one really fun spinning top. So now put yourself in front of it. So start to just get a little bit sassy with them, (laughs) sort of like being playfully, you know, 
irritating to the child so that now that they have to look at me and then once they gain my attention, they get their toy right back, whatever it is, but just inserting ourselves in their sight line, teaching them that it's more fun if we're doing this together, that, and making sure, you know, we joke around with families all the time. If you would be a little bit embarrassed, if your friends saw you doing this, you're probably doing it right. So getting in there and being super goofy so that you're just as exciting as that toy. Um, so trying to pull their attention back to you, then allowing it to go back to the toy and back and forth. So you could create that joint attention. So is this like that social interaction part that you're trying to pull them out from their fixation and get them socially interacting with you? Exactly. I've got to be more fun than your toy. (laughs) You want to be, you, the, the goal is for the parent caregiver therapist to become the social motivator. Okay. Now that makes sense. So I can see that the child that's fixated, we want to make it more social. What are other ways that social interaction play in communication development? Oh, I've got one that um, I just, I have this visual, which of course is a podcast. So you cannot see what my dad looked like, but <laughs> my dad, you know, had a big bushy beard and he, you know, he had a Harley Davidson, like he was a rougher looking guy. Okay. <laughs> However, given a baby, he could not stop himself from doing that, that reciprocity back and forth. Like my little infant would do the coup, like, whoo, and he'd be right there. Whoo. Then they would then go back and forth. And he was literally the master at that back and forth vocal play. So when we model and match what our little peanuts are doing, it teaches them that, oh, I take a turn, you take a turn. Mm -hmm. I take a turn, you take a turn. So whether it's with a goo, a coo, a squeal, a raspberry, whatever the noise is that our little ones make, if we copy it and then wait and see what happens and do they do it again? Do they change it a little bit? Do I change with them? So it's really validating the sounds that they're making because eventually verbal communication is a sound mm-hmm. and verbal communication is give and take. So we, we can set those initial foundations of that reciprocity with kiddos by doing exactly that, matching what they're doing and then modeling what it could mean. So I, I joke around when I teach, I teach, um, at NYU and we talk about, um, child infant development is when a baby is going, ma, 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 ma. They are absolutely not meaning mama at that point, or <laughs> let's be honest, they often say dada first, but, um, when they say ma, 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 that's just their motor play. They're just, right. their muscles are moving. They're working their articulators, but we, we, we say it back to them, oh, ma, 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 that's matching. And then modeling, I'm your mama. That's right. I'm mama. So we match and then we model what it could be. So doing that with our kiddos is one of those other foundational skills of that turn taking that back and forth vocal play. You are totally reminding me of like those sweet moments. Like you, everything you say, I'm like, I remember those delicious moments. So not ever wanting to have more kids right now, Um, but, but I do remember those sweet, juicy moments. And it's just, it's, it's just, I kind of miss it. Like as you talk about it, it can be such innocent communication and just full of joyful moments. Oh my gosh. You're just like yes. bringing back memories. Like I literally remember like the mama, 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 mama. Oh, <laughs> thank you for taking me down that. I hadn't thought of that yes. in forever. <laughs> so, so what are some examples of early gestures that parents should be expecting? So we're expecting the mamamas. What else might parents be looking out for, especially if we're talking about 
looking out for developmental milestones. Trish, do you want to talk about the gestures? Sure. So I would say that um, initially we want to look at like babies will typically start to reach their arms up to be picked up. Um, They will also begin to respond to like an open hand cue for show me. Uh, And in other words, one of the things that we really want to think about too is that young children we should be using, should be using approximately 16 gestures or so um, between nine and 16 months. So also indicating their head no, um, if they are not interested in a toy or basically indicating refusal. Um, Again, using that open hand cue. If you, you know, you basically, or excuse me, the parent or caregiver might open their hand and um, and the baby would then put something in your hand. So Mm -hmm. responding to that cue, um, again, and then also beginning to state, give me or reaching up with their arms, waving goodbye is a big one. Um, Mm -hmm. trying to establish those, those social interactions. Again, it's all linked together. Okay. So I'm kind of taking this in a direction I hadn't thought. So at PYC, we do a class called um, Baby Fingers, which is sign language. And it's not just mm-hmm. like made up signs like Laura Heller, our teachers, like actually, this is what she teaches, um, American Sign Language. Is yeah. that something that could help with this communication? Absolutely. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And we as speech therapists very often will begin when babies do not have, sometimes if kids are not vocalizing right away, we teach those beginning signs to embed that power of communication. So before, if kids are not vocalizing or having true words yet, we will often teach gestures. We, we, we rely on that quite heavily because, um, if, if a child or a baby is not, is not vocalizing yet, we want to teach the power of communication. And usually gestures are something that kids can be more successful at initially and mm-hmm. eventually will also help facilitate in the long run verbal communication because they begin to understand that whole idea that if I do this, I receive something. So um, versus, but it replaces, it's a more... Uh, refined form of communication than just say crying. So one of the things we also look for initially is a true point. Like first kids will reach and grab when they're very interested, mm-hmm. but then we look for more specific. I always have a hard time with this word. Specific. <laughs> I really do. I can't. Specific. Thank you. Thank you so much. As I, so you need the help of a speech pathologist. I do. I can't. There's one word I cannot say. So, yes. Uh, so we will, that's when we start to introduce choices. Like I can just think at me, time or bath time, you know, you will, you could be very typical situation that you might present your baby with two, two foods. And, um, as opposed to just reaching and grabbing, Oh, do you want this one or that one? And then we will often, you know, actually help hand over hand babies to form a point or use the gesture, give me or sign more if they're not saying the words yet. So absolutely. We, we are big believers in early sign language. Cause I Trish, think it, Oh, oh, sorry. sorry. Can I tell you? Yeah. This just reminded me of a story, Trisha. I don't know if you remember. This was obviously like, let's rewind the clock 14 years. <laughs> when my middle daughter, when, you know, my first daughter, I taught her all these signs. She had like a, a cache of like, you know, 20 signs by the time she was like 18 months old. She was using them all reliably. And then I was feeding Bridget 
and she would squeal in this absolute ear piercing when she wanted more of something. And I came to work and I'm like, oh my gosh, this kid is giving me a headache. She squeals. And you said, well, did you teach her the sign for more? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> parents slash speech pathologists fail. I literally no, went it, home. No, it is, it's second child syndrome. I get it. Because my first child, it was like, we researched everything. Yes. It was had to be wooden toys with making sure it was safe paint. And then like my second child, I'm like, just don't lick the, fine. You are licking the floor. Yeah. We cleaned it yesterday. It's fine. Okay. Like, yeah. So it's no, and I did the same thing. My, my son, we did the baby silent. I did, I did like nothing with my poor daughter, but she's great. Yes. Um, but, but she's still fine. But so could that be like an early intervention or is that just helping lack of frustration. Cause I could imagine like your daughter, it sounded like she was frustrated. She's like, I want more and I'm going to squeal. Or is it like both? It's both. Both. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, and that, <laughs> you know, when a kid is getting early intervention, which of course in New York city, we were so blessed with a really good early intervention program. When kids are getting an early intervention, that's, it's a lot of parent coaching because what happens in those 30 minutes or those 45 minutes is not going to be enough. It really is about us as the caregivers reframing and just making alterations in the environment, alterations in our physicality, maybe making sure we're eye to eye, making sure we're positioned better, differently, using our voice in a different way. And so when, for the families that we're lucky enough to coach and work with, it's very much that for the kids who are under two. It's a lot of, this is what you can do now at bath time. This is what you're going to be able to do at mealtime, like Trisha was just talking about. So it is about small tweaks that can make a world of difference. Mm. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about general guidelines for gestures. So we should be keeping our eye out on. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Okay, we are back. All right, so I think of myself as like the first time parent. I want to make sure I'm really keeping an eye out for all these things to know if we can, should get early intervention. And I'm going to also mm-hmm. highlight New York City is so good about handing out early interventions. We got it for my son um, for fine motor skills. It's amazing. So what are some general gestures. And you mentioned some like waving and pointing. Is there a a timeline that we should be seeing those on that would kind of in our mind, just kind of mentally check off like, yep, we got that. Yeah, actually, can I take even one step back from there? And just, you know, like when we were joking around the hundred years ago when Trisha and I were in grad school and learned about the one by one, two by two. Now what the research is really, really solidly showing us is that the kids who are 
16 months and have 16 gestures, they at two years and two years post that show the strongest preschool language skill set. Oh. And the then and then another sort of hunk of research that we know is kids who have strong language skills in preschool end up having better academic success. So these things all, of course, build on each other. And gestures not only are highly communicative and highly social, they also are using your hands in ways that are using objects in different ways as well. So that also builds on the play skills. So these gestures really, really, really cannot be undersold as how important they really are to later success, both preschool and academically later. So I know most parents are like, I just want them to talk. And we're like, we do too. <laughs> we're absolutely there. But these gestures and these foundations are absolutely vital. And they really mm. can tip the balance for a lot of our little peanuts mm. being, because if they're not getting their needs met, because their vocal apparatus is really, the speech is the fine motor sort of fine motor skills you ever can have. But gestures are a lot bigger and there's a lot more room for, error. So if I'm like saying, give me, and I'm putting, tapping my hand to my chest, it doesn't have to be refined and beautiful. You get the message pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm reaching for something, even if it's that nice, not that nice refined distal point, you still know that I want what I'm reaching towards. So there's a lot more sort of give, give in those gestures. So that's why they're also so powerful because we can understand them pretty easily. So with that sort of umbrella about saying why they're so dang important, mm-hmm. we could talk about which ones we should do. Great. Um, so I guess, Trish, you were talking yeah. about the ones that go, like that we start to see that six to nine months. Yeah, that so first the group. earlier ones, again, are the learning to shaking. You'll see, start to see your baby shake their head for no. Um, of course, no, not yes, but no. Um, and again, <laughs> re- responding to that cue, like to your, your cue, like, Oh, give me this. So, that, those really are uh, the first initial ones as well as, as indicating um, to be picked up by just reaching their arms up, raising their mm-hmm. arms. Uh, we also, the other, I think this is very interesting too, following that roughly around maybe 11 months or so, you might see kids starting to bring toys over to you in basically presenting you or showing you something, which again is a, indicates later kind of the foundations of expressive language. So it's their way of initiating that communication, not always receiving, but initiating because we're looking at both ends. Um, then around uh, roughly around a year, we start to hear, see like, again, the more refined point, uh, tapping with fingers, uh, clapping clapping is a big one being you know clapping mm-hmm. for themselves clapping for you that that again that whole you know feeling proud and recognizing mm-hmm. accomplishment um as well as again i think this is like looking at the these social interactions like blowing a kiss um using their index finger to to not oh playing with the baby like shh, time to be quiet even if they're not saying uh, an actual sh yeah we'll start to see um, that gesture, like I'm putting time, night, night, time to sleep, it, which again, I think also is important to recognize a lot of these are related to these social routines. So it, when we're seeing two things, we're seeing the use of the gesture, but we're also, these gestures are showing us that these babies are starting to understand their social routines. Um, again, around sometime around a year and a half, you might see like a, um, 
kind of like a head nod or a thumbs up to indicate yes, or you might like a, like, we're going to stop. You, you know, might push, put, hold your hand out, like stop. I'm all done. Or even the all done sign. We teach that frequently. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And then I think just high fives and then also the songs I can't emphasize songs like the imitation beginning to build an imitation which is also a foundation for verbal language so oftentimes you'll see uh toddlers and also in our office you will see us frequently uh practicing lots of songs with gestures so all those beginning songs that you hear like twinkle twinkle and wheels on the bus we're not doing it just for fun. We're, we really want to build, I mean, we are having fun when we're doing it, but we, <laughs> the point is, is like that we really want kids to understand the power of imitation. And then that will eventually help with the verbal imitation as well. So it, 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 reciprocity, being able to, they do what we do and building the whole idea of imitation, which is so important for language um, I love that you're laying out like strategies, like, okay. and I, <laughs> some of these are just so, I don't know if it's just because they're just so, done so often, but I remember doing like, first of all, wheels on the bus. I have like this, like, post-traumatic stress like response to it because I sang it so much <laughs> and then we listened to it and watched videos of different languages of wheels in the bus and our emotions so I have this love-hate relationship with it but I think it's so natural that many parents do this we sing wheels in the bus and we do the hand motions and, and it's like we're creating a way of communicating with one another and not even realizing it's a strategy I'm guessing is that correct a hundred percent yes I also found that I was told, and I, gosh, I still remember feeling like a moron doing this. I used to narrate everything I did, like, mm-hmm. mommy's grabbing this for you. Mommy's doing this. And I remember someone saying that. And I was I was like, I'm going to be the right parent. I'm going to do this well. And and literally feel like mommy's going to grab this and mommy's petting the cat. Because someone said, like, we want to keep talking to them and narrating what we're doing. It Was that actually correct? Or was yes. I just making myself yes. foolish? Yes. yes. No, I'm listening to you making yourself foolish. foolish so impressed. <laughs> no, I just did a lot of research. And I also is in a very lucky place that I have great experts around me all the time. So that, <laughs> that helps. helped a lot. But okay, so that is correct. So it is correct. All those parents that are out there giving yourself a monologue of yeah. what you're doing. Mommy's going potty. I'll be right back. Exactly. And also, I'm just thinking, I, I, my speech therapist brain, I mean, of course, you know, to label things, I think everybody knows that. I think parents naturally do that. You're looking at a book and you, oh, there's the dog, point to the dog. Or you're showing, oh, look, here's your cup, point to the cup. Those sorts of things that mommy's getting your cup. But I think it's so important too for action words, like as yeah. you're narrating and the building blocks of language, okay, mommy's opening the door right now. I'm pouring, I'm pouring your water into the cup. All of those things, pouring, opening, because labels, of of course, nouns and labels are hugely important, but also what you're doing is really adding all of the foundational vocabulary by exposing your child to the verb forms as well as attributes. Oh, there's the big blue ball. It's bouncing. So again, I think you're doing so much more than you realize you are, by uh-huh. narrating and and exposing your child to that vocabulary and pairing it with actions. 
Oh, these are great strategies. So listeners out there, so let's make sure we got them all right. So we've got the songs and the hand gestures and the narrations and the action words and the nouns of like, here's the blue ball. What other, are there any other strategies you want to throw out there? Because I'm sure there's people out there like, yes, I'm going to do them. I'm writing it down. I've <laughs> got it. Um, another one is to play intellectually stupid. So when you know your kiddo wants something, don't satisfy their every need before they've had to communicate. So we want to sometimes, you know, give them some, you know, their, their cup empty. So here's your cup that's always been full of water every other time, but here it is empty. So create these little sabotaged situations that are going to beget some communication from your kiddo. So buying being like gentle sabotage or playing intellectually stupid, we can create situations where our kids are able to communicate with us. And we want a word, but we will celebrate a deliberate eye gaze. We will celebrate any vocalizations. We know that deliberate eye gaze starts, then vocalizations with gestures or without gestures, um, all of those things and celebrate where that kiddo is then and model the next thing that would be appropriate. Oh, I love that. I love practical tips. So this is exciting to me. All right. So I think we've laid out milestones, what we're looking for. And I think a lot of parents are like, check, check, check. Great. But then some parents are going to be listening to that and be like, check, check. No, we're not here. So <laughs> as speech pathologists, what are ways in which you work with babies and toddlers who may not be hitting these communication milestones, who are not checking all these places? Well, I think that if you asked um, the parents, it looks like we're just playing with their kiddos. And I will say our motto is if they, those kids aren't like wanting to the parents to race up the stairs and cannot wait to get in to be with us, then we're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. So when they come in to work with a speech pathologist, it should the kids should think that they are literally there for a party, that they are there to play with somebody who is so 100% ready to be with them. And our big focus in those with those kiddos is we want to make sure we're gaining their eye contact. So we need to be leveled in a way that our faces can meet where their faces are so that they can see our facial expressions. We can see theirs. They can see our gestures. We can see theirs. Um, so getting the right eye contact is really, really important. Observing what your kiddo is doing to communicate, whether whatever level they're at, whether it's eye gaze, whether it's gesture, whether it's vocalization, whether it's word, whether it's sentence, observe where they're at and reinforce that and then reinforce that and then just up the ante just Mm -hmm. a smidge so that we're always looking for just one little bit more sophisticated version of what we would want them to be until we get to sentences. Mm -hmm. And when we put together a plan with our families, um, it's definitely in collaboration. What is most important? Let's see where we're going to go. And a lot of coaching back and forth. And we always look at the different functions of language. So if we have a kiddo who, you know, every, every human being needs to greet, every human being needs to protest, they need to request, they need to comment, they need to, you know, ask questions, all of those things. And if we go back to those gestures, those gestures can satisfy all of those. So if we're wanting our kiddos to learn how to greet or bid farewell, the waving does that or the blowing the kiss. Requesting, pointing, signing for more, the give me. Commenting, clapping their hands. That's a comment saying, yay, I rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or asking questions that like shrugging your shoulders and putting your hand up. What, who, where, 
all of those things are satisfying those functions of language. So a speech and language session should look like playing, but it's very thoughtful and Mm -hmm. we're meeting all of those goals, but they are things that every caregiver, every parent can very easily do with just a few little tweaks. That's great. Yeah. So at what age are you seeing babies? Like, is it what, like three months, six months, nine months, where, where are you in that scheme of starting to work with, with babies and toddlers? So our youngest kiddo at the clinic right now is um, nine months old and our oldest kiddo right now is 31 years old. So okay. <laughs> there's a breadth for sure. Um, usually we don't have little tiny babies like the, the, when we're still talking about them in months, mm-hmm. um, come unless they've been born with something where we know there's something else going on. Maybe they Got have it. a diagnosis of cerebral palsy or they have a diagnosis of Down syndrome or some ne- rare neurological. So those are the ones we'll get really little because we're looking at feeding and basic communication early. But we do get some of those kiddos at the beginning who the mom got is just saying something doesn't feel quite right and I need some coaching. And so usually those kiddos will start seeing around between the 12 and the 18 month old grouping. Why is it important to catch early communication difficulties? Well, because your brain basically the most um, forms the most in the first three years of life. So we know, we know that this is the prime time to, if there are any issues, that this is when we basically have the greatest chance of really making those connections, which is not to say that children will not progress it between from three years onwards. I don't definitely don't want to give that impression at all, but it's just that earlier is better because that's when we really have the chance to get in there and really help the brain actually make those connections. You know, and we look at, Mm -hmm. All the, like as Jackie mentioned, all the different functions of language, language, and we're looking at it from a global perspective of like how is this little kiddo's motor system? Like, let's look at how the motor system's developing, and if there's issues with that, we can assist with tactual cueing and so forth. And then we also look at the cognitive linguistic functions of language, so we we can see like is this kiddo's receptive and expressive language, you know, is what is the the area that might be challenging for that peanut and start to lay the foundation uh, for those skills, as well as as we keep going back to over and over again, this sort of social emotional part of language development, we really want to see, is this little baby connecting? Are they, are they engaging with others? So we're able to take a look at, again, these, these, all these different areas of communication development, and I think get a handle on it at a young age and try and facilitate those interactions as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And then that lays the foundation for more success as the child ages, even if they do need therapy at a later age. I think it's, it's always just, we're able to, to really kind of rewire the brain. That makes total sense. Do you mm-hmm. find that those that do speech pathology work with you also do OT? Are they, do they often go hand in hand? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was, I was figuring that's a great combination. Okay. We're going to take another break. And when we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents? We'll be right back. 
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Okay, we are back. So decide which hat you want to put on. The hat of being a parent or <laughs> a speech pathologist or maybe a little of both. So what would your final tip or piece of advice be for new and expectant parents? Ooh, I've got one, but it's a little bit um, controversial. So I'm not sure. Oh, I kind of want to hear it. Now, what is it? Okay. My first one, my the one that I say to all of my friends who are expectant parents is please, 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 please recognize when your baby needs to be soothed and know that the suck is so important to their ability to soothe themselves and to, if at all possible, not have it to be attached to their body. <laughs> I laugh because both my kids were thumb suckers. <laughs> and it took my son getting a root canal when he was in oh. the second or third grade. I know, second or third, I think it was the second grade. He had to have a root canal because he fell on his face hey. and broke a tooth. And while they got the tooth to put, like they, they bonded it back on, a year later, he was in excruciating pain and he had, a, he like begged for the root canal and he didn't even know what he was like, whatever is going to make the pain go away. And then that night he couldn't suck his thumb. So I put on my call, my doula hat and I had to like soothe him to sleep because all he wanted to do is suck his thumb. And with my daughter, she was such a thumb sucker. Her palate got, got yeah. high and narrow and her speech therapist, clearly she needed a speech yeah. therapist was like, okay, I've done everything I can. You need to change her mouth. And so yeah. she went to the orthodontist <laughs> and got a palate widener and a whole bunch of work. And she had to immediately realize her thumb could not go there because the palate widener was there. So... <laughs> I, I appreciate what you had to say. And we had, in my family, it was a crash course overnight with both kids. Thumb was gone. Thumb was gone. And it's, yeah. it's so hard. And But sucking is super important. So passies, we love the pacifier. I love the little, like, oh, there's all these neat, new, chewy things that they didn't have back when my kids were babies. But being able to, for us as adults to modulate it so that we can, if it's a pacifier, I can manipulate this pacifier to not have can't that cut off the thumb. Yeah, you can't <laughs> cut off their thumb. And that strong suction that happens through sucking that you're talking about, it changes your oral structure. And I had one mom say to me one time, oh, we'll just get her braces. And I'm like... It's so much more than that. It's so just teeth. Yeah, it's that palate. It was high and narrow. We had to like her whole face changed, but it's it's all better now. <laughs> so I would say that would be my one thing. And sippy cups are not ideal because they're hard and rigid. There's all these amazing straw cups now. So to really think about putting something rigid in their mouth, like a bony thumb or bony finger or a bony, hard, plastic, sippy cup, those really wreak havoc with the natural motor development and structure of the mouth. Ooh, those are really good tips. 
So that would be my big one. Please, please. (laughs) I'm afraid mine is not quite as intense as Jackie's or quite as specific. (laughs) I shouldn't say it's quite as specific. I would just say trust your instincts because this is what I always say. It's when you were talking about the importance of, you know, why babies, why toddlers. Listen, bring your, if you're, if there's concerns, bring your kiddo in for a consult because we do sometimes say like I, there's been many times that little babies have come into the office and we might just see them for a consultation. And I'll look at the parents and say, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think we, I don't think it's necessary right now, but here's some things I think you could be doing. And, you know, this will, this will help your little, your little peanut um, develop. And if, if there's no change over the next few months, come back. But I think just kind of being it, just checking in if there's any thought about it, because, Sometimes your kid might benefit from speech therapy, but sometimes we can just give you a little guidance and we might, that's all that's needed. I love that. I love both answers. I love, you know, trusting your gut and also the practical. So thank you. Where can people find your work? Well, all you have to do is go to your office and take a picture. So we are so lucky to have an office on 72nd Street. Our It's Chatterbox NYC, which is also our website, www.chatterboxnyc.com. And, uh, you know, Trisha and I were just joking around yesterday. We probably need a new revamp of the website because we really put all of our creative focus into working with the children and toddlers and families and uh, not as much into our website. So yeah, we're, uh, we're maybe. not the most, te- or I'm not the most tech savvy, but we definitely need an <laughs> upgrade, but you can still find us there. Just don't judge how old it is. Exactly. <laughs> no judgment. Well, this has been really lovely. And I think you gave parents listening to it just also some calmness to see that, you know, they don't have to hit everything all at once. And there is support if, if they feel like they do need some help. So thank you for sharing all your wisdom. Thank you so much for for having us. And thanks for being great neighbor. Yes. Thank you, Deb. (laughs) This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.